0: And up into the sky We're calling it parks and recollection come on podcast Spread your wings and fly.
1: hello everybody welcome to parks and recollection it is literally the best parks and rec podcast
2: you'll ever hear top 100 for sure no doubt I mean, look, man, let's not be braggarts about it. <laughs> maybe, maybe top 10, maybe top 10. I think, by the way, I think
1: braggart is a word that I have not heard in a long time. And I think we need to bring bring that back. Don't be a braggart. <laughs> it's almost like it's, good. it's like medieval times or something, right? It's like an old word. <laughs> I know. Well, that's, that's why Alan Yang, my partner on this, gets the big bucks. He is a wordsmith. He's a writer. He wrote on Parks and Recreation. And he
2: can use the word braggart. It's a very difficult word. It starts with brag and it's about bragging. <laughs> um, yeah. <it's laughs> uh, yeah, we got a big episode today, man. This is a really exciting one. This is like when people talk about the all-time great episodes of Parks, this is often up there. It's often up there. It's kind of one of the ones that kicks it into gear, into like, uh, you know, the real the real feel of the show. I really enjoy this one.
1: Um, so Practice date shows up in, in the top Parks and Recs for you?
2: Yeah, I mean this episode. This episode is episode four, season two. It's called Practice Date. Um, yeah, it's it's just a it's a really really well loved episode for a variety of reasons. Just for housekeeping purposes, it first aired on May seventh, two thousand nine. Remember where you were on that date? Oh, I do. Uh, ri- oh, I do. Ri- oh, there you go. <laughs> you remember when the sunrise and sunset was? You have a seven
3: o two
1: a.m. and the high tide was at eight thirty five.
3: Hey guys, I just want to say I checked my records and sunrise that day was at 5.58am. The high tide actually hit at 9.32am and the mercury topped off at an 89.6 degrees Fahrenheit. Back to you.
2: (laughs) It was written by the legend, the man, the legend, Harris Whittles and directed by Alex Hardcastle. Yeah, yeah. This is a little bit of a Harris Tour de Force. I'd like to get into a little bit more of that later. But yeah, I mean, this is one that people talk about because it's the introduction of so many different things, so many different games. And I have only two words for you. Duke, silver. It's a wild swing, a wild swing for the show. So I remember when that got pitched in the writers' room and it was like, are we really going to do this? This seems really insane. Like, I don't know if we could do this. This seems like a very a big swing for this character who previously up to this point, you know, we're talking about Ron Swanson, of course had been very buttoned up and wore suits and and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, you know, what we did with him was kind of different. Shall I read an episode synopsis, Rob? Would you enjoy that? I would so enjoy it. You know, for all you synopsis fans out here, let's, uh, let's get into the synopsis. (laughs) A local story breaks about Pawnee councilman, Bill Dexhart. Wait,
1: should I be like a choir and, and say things, like during your synop, would that
2: make it more entertaining? Do you think? Like- I'm sure that would make our uh, audio engineers thrilled. <laughs> I'm sure, just tons of crosstalk. and like, yeah. But, I could be like, yeah, who? A, a lot of amens. Say it lot, again. Like, oh, I remember that guy. <laughs> just, just people tearing their hair out. I don't. I actually don't know how the engineering works, but but I don't know. Sure. I mean, feel free. I'll try it. This time I'm gonna try it. This time, <laughs> so so there's a there's a story about Councilman Dexhart at, at a at a press conference. Councilman Dexhart, played by Kevin Simon, yeah, at a press conference, he admits to having four way sex in a Brazilian cave while pretending to be quote building houses for the underprivileged unquote. The scandal inspires Tom to start a game with the other park's employees to see who can can get the most dirt on each other. During the game, Ron and Tom find some incredible dirt on one another and decide to call a truce. The game also prompts Mark to be more open and honest with Anne. Meanwhile, Anne and Leslie try to tackle Leslie's nervousness about her first date with Officer Dave by pretending to expose her to terrible date scenarios. When Anne tells her she's now ready, the two celebrate and have drinks. Later, a drunken Leslie visits Dave's house. Dave seems annoyed and takes her home. The next day, Leslie tries to apologize to Dave, but he says she can make it up to him on their second date, saying the worst is behind them. So that's a very quick summary but but it's a very rich episode. You yeah. know, it's a very rich episode. So much so that you almost can't tell what the A story and B story are. You know, usually the the main character Leslie, you'd say that's tip, that, that that's, you know, very simply the A story, but in this one they're both really uh really complicated stories.
1: This episode opens with with uh, with all the people in the park's department watching a, you know, that the, the the scene we've seen a ton of times where some contrite politician is having just eat a shit sandwich and apologize for something they've done. And, and uh, he's saying. Um, and to my wife. I apologize. All I can say is. I wasn't just having sex. I was making love. To a beautiful woman. And her boyfriend. And a third person. Whose name I never learned. And it goes on. But it's, it's so. See this, I love parks when it's in this gear. Because it's. It's got an edge to it, and I think a lot of that's a lot of that's Harris. Um, I go, oh, you just know this is going to be good when it opens with that kind of a gambit.
2: Yeah, I just so I just want to shout out Harrison. and I wanted to talk about this with this episode because it's the first one he's credited with uh, writing, and and uh, he joined the writing staff season two. And for people who don't know who Harris was, uh, Harris was a really funny writer, stand-up comedian, actor. You know, he did a lot of you know he he did all kinds of things in comedy but he's one of the fa- mo- one of the funniest people i'd ever met in my life and and um you know he he passed away a few years ago but the mark he left on 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 comedy and and and, and a lot of different shows you know he worked on not not just Parks and Rec but he worked on Master None with us he did he worked on Eastbound and Down Sarah Silverman show um and in 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 you know his 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 young life he had a lot of impact man this one is just like has his fingerprints all over it and he brought a joy to the show you know so he was one of the younger writers and um you know he just brought this fresh perspective he ended up writing 12 episodes of the show um other things about harris he invented a word i don't know if you guys i don't know how many people out there have invented a word that made it into the dictionary but harris did that uh he invented the word humblebrag so uh, rob i remember uh, you know you you must have heard this going around but it's the best but but you know essentially humblebrag is when Man, this this episode started with the word brag. We're just going right into humble brag. It's when <sighs> you brag about something but you couch it in terms that also express your your humility and how much you appreciate life and how much, you know, like there's it's just like, you know, man, so blessed to to be on set today. So blessed to have this beautiful trailer. So blessed to ha- to get paid so much money and have all these beautiful decorations and my whatever it is, right? You get what that is. But but he came up with that and i remember we we had offices next door to each other in the parks and rec office when he first started the show and first of all i remember he loved the band fish so he would constantly blast fish in the office next door to mine which was horrible because yeah i'm sorry <laughs> horrible but but i remember going into his office one day we were talking about this phenomenon he had identified it it made him very angry. It happened with a lot of, you know, entertainment people, etc. And he had a few targets. And he's like, I'm going to start a Twitter account called Humblebrag, at Humblebrag. So we all went into his office, it's like me and Aisha Muhar and Harris. And we saw him start the account in his office, and then he started retweeting people. And just that's how it started. He just started retweeting the worst offenders and just like... You know, that's when the origin of the Humblebrag Twitter account, which later turned into a book and later turned into an entry in the dictionary.
3: And if I could just echo what you were saying, Alan, I think I had an interesting viewpoint of the writer's room. You know, the first few seasons, I was the writer's assistant sitting in the corner, watching everything happen. I had a bit of a David Attenborough position, watching, you know, everybody do their thing. And it was amazing. We've talked about this, the Parks and Rec writing staff, maybe this is a humble brag, was incredible. Um, I can't think of a single weak link. Um, And yet still, you still see those Apex writers in the pack. And that was Harris. It was incredible to watch him work. You would see his brain kind of do its Harris thing. And then all of a sudden he would make a pitch that maybe at first you thought, is that something? And then that was the pitch. That was the episode. Um, And I still remember him storming out of his room, his office, one day saying, I think I created a word or something like that. It was just an amazing thing to watch this guy work. Uh, I loved hearing you talk about him, Alan. And I'm curious, you you also worked with him on Master of None. And, uh, you know, for years in Parks, what else? What are some of your great uh, Harris moments?
2: So Harris had a thing called Foam Corner or Phone Corner. One thing on Parks or on Master of None if we ever needed what's called chuffa in a show, which is like <laughs> just it's a funny term. It's it's so two characters are walking into a room and you need two or three lines before they sit down. Like, like you need those lines because they can't just walk in silent. They to make it feel real, they're just saying so. We call that chaffa C-H-U-F-F-A or C-H-U-F-F-A-H. I don't know, whatever. It's a nonsense word. So one like we always we, we called Harris the Chuffa King because we're like, Harris, hey, just we need three lines here. Just look at your phone look at whatever nonsense you just wrote down in the notes app. Like whatever nonsense you just wrote down, we'll just put it in the show. So there's some lines in Parks and Rec like that where he's like, what's your kind of favorite, what's your favorite kind of cake? And, and Donna, I think she says birthday cake. And she's, he's like, that's not a kind of cake. That's like an occasion for a cake. She's like, yeah, whatever. It's my favorite. Like stuff, stuff that's not really a joke, but like just close joke approximate. Like, mm-hmm. like that's, that's kind of what, and so that's what foam corner is. Phone corner, I, they, they've done it on other podcasts, but just to give you an idea of who he was, I looked up a couple that I remember. It's like, these are not jokes. Where there's a will, there's a way ins That's something. That's what he said. Why Where there's fi- a will, there's a weigh-ins? That's right, like a way ins brother. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and then there's another one that says, Wi fi, because, fi? Um, <laughs> there's one. wheat thins. Let me know when you got wheat thicks. Give me that wheat. Uh, and then the the legendary, uh, the legendary, I mean, of course, it's all from Comedy Bang Bang, but the legendary one, I want to open a Jamaican-Irish-Spanish small plate breakfast restaurant and call it Top us the morning to jaw. So, anyway, that, that's Harris's <laughs> foam core. I want to dedicate the, 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 this. This is a sensibility that, unfortunately or fortunately, from your point of view, did permeate Parks and Rec a little bit. And I think Practice Date was a good showcase. His first credited episode. That is a little bit about Harris, but
1: we'll we'll talk more. And about by the him. way, for, he's in and for people who may not know, he is in
2: Parks and Rec as an actor. Of course, yes, he's part of the animal control group. So it's uh, I believe his character's name is Harris. Harris and Brett, right, is is the him and Colton Dunn are in the animal control. So yeah, he's he's in the show, and he what he brought to the show is just this sense of fun, very comedy forward. Apologies for the the blue language, but sometimes Harris would say. Motherfuckers just want to laugh, right so we talk about story we talk about character we talk about all this stuff but he would he would always push for the comedy he would push for you know making the characters just fun and funny and, and, and so you're having a good time watching the show
1: how 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 does that discussion go because I'm the same like when I like as the actor I'm like guys, if people want plot and all that they can watch the dramas
2: I, when I'm watching comedy I just want to laugh I, honestly I don't I hate to say it, I don't really care. <laughs> I, I'm struggling with it right now. We're, we're, I'm working on a show right now, and and we, yeah, it's a, it's a tone issue, right? Every show yeah. has sort of um, a balance, right? You look at super, super joke-heavy shows, you know, like the ultimate is like an animated show, like Family Guy or something. That's all jokes, right. no plot, right? No story, right. no character. They don't care about lessons. You're not changing the characters. They're not learning. And then you, you go all the way to the other side. Now we look at comedies, and you know, like there's shows that are a little bit more dramatic, right? It's like, you know, a show like Atlanta is kind of like interesting and kind of whimsical and weird, but it's not, they're not going for jokes or like Maisel or shows like that. Like, you know, Fleabag has jokes in it, but it's more, a little bit more dramatic. And so there's a huge range, right? There's a huge, so you have to pick the tone of your show and, I think we've seen that in the episodes we've covered in this show already. In, in Parks and Rec, I think it started out a little bit quieter and then moved to a little bit more rollicking and fun and comedic. And Harris was part of that, and some of the other writers who joined season two, Aisha and Kitty Dippold, and you know Mike Scully, that they all contributed as well. And and it's a balance because to me, to re- me, Rob, I totally get what you where you're coming from, but I think as the writers of the show and I think the showrunners of the show would say, um, you gotta you gotta care about the characters and you gotta care about the stories to be laughing uh, in a lot right. of cases. And and, and it's yep. it's that balance, right? And I, I actually, there's a weird thing I worked on South Park briefly and, and Trey Parker and Matt Stone ran that show, of course, and, and Trey Parker... Want, he only wanted story pitches and like character pitches and he's like, if you don't care about the characters, no one's laughing and he's just like this mm. very earnest piece of advice from Trey Parker which you wouldn't <laughs> expect because like the guy yeah. literally like writes jokes all the time, right? But he's like, don't worry, like I'll, I'll write jokes and stuff but what is the reality of the world we're living in? And when it's consistent, then you're really to something, I think.
1: Yeah, and I think this episode is, um, has the perfect amount of that. Um, when you have these hitters, let them swing away, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I'm sure a lot of that montage stuff of Amy's in this episode is written and I'm sure some of it is just Amy just doing her thing.
2: Yeah. And, and and again, she gets to go bigger in this one, which is really fun. And um man, you, you also get to learn about Jerry and Donna a little bit more. You know, Jerry has the, the sad sack routines going in this one. Um, there's a, potentially ill-advised bit but a bit in there nonetheless where donna admits she voted for david duke white supremacist Amazing. so you know it's pretty broad but it's like but she's so high profile it's like oh the, the, her reactions are so funny retta's reactions are so funny when it's like this shit just got real like she's react like like when they're digging up dirt on each other and she yeah she looks to camera rob's doing the look yeah. right now yeah but she MD, does the, the look, look to camera uh, retta's uh, for me
1: without it, a, a question the Hall of Fame of Looks to Camera in, in no particular order are Adam Scott's sort of like vaguely confused. Um Aziz's gigantic eyed, smiley, excited, and and Retta's like like I can't believe this is happening. This yeah. is great. Look. Those for me, the they those three, you know, you you can't compete.
2: Yeah. It I think it happens. I think the first time it happens is is after Tom reveals that Ron's both of Ron's ex-wives are named Tammy. <laughs> and then he says, this was, that was a Jaeger se- secret. You breached a Jaeger secret. And then <laughs> Donna just looks the camera at camera. and She's like, yeah, this, 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 this escalated a lot. But it, yeah, uh, man, that, that was a delightful exchange. And then, and then the talking head where Nick says, you know, why? Yeah. My, my mom is also named Tammy. Why, why do you ask? It's just my mother's also named <laughs> that Tammy. Was, it's
1: just, no, that's, really, that's a good, that's a very good joke total deadpan what i was struck by was tom haverford is in full tom haverford mode now that crazy smile wide-eyed like look that he that eventually made its way into the opening credits that's right it's in there (laughs) um and drunk leslie as i've said before drunk leslie is my favorite leslie um when you let amy poehler play drunk you just stand back get out of the way because the magic is about to happen.
2: She goes big in this one. I forgot all that stuff, because it's like, she's really like, yeah, oh, it's like, oh, wait, we have this extremely funny person as the lead of the show. Like, let's let her go. She does all those bad, intentionally bad accents, right, English accents, and Mm -hmm. she goes, she's playing drunk, and she gets to do, silly stuff and make stupid mistakes in the show and then on the b story side yeah you have those aziz moments where he's really fun they're going nuts and you get ron playing saxophone at the end so again it's just a it's a rollicking episode it's like they really are you know i say they i guess i worked on the show but, but it really, it's like they're really going for it it's like but 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 it truly you know it, it cuts loose in a way that that uh, you know, embody the spirit that the show would take on, and so everyone gets a great moment. How about the mo- one? Another moment I love was 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 Jerry finding out he's adopted. Like that happens accidentally. <laughs> like there's just yeah, the the digging up dirt storyline. Like again, that's that's an example to me of something that comes about organically like it's in the world it's like they're talking about public service they're talking about politicians then you hang a little bit of a story on it like what if we all dig up dirt on each other and then it becomes this character thing where you learn you it's a secret exposition you learn about all these different characters and they can be funny but you also deepen the relationship and how about the pathos at the end when ron finds out that you know tom has a green card marriage like that is that that punctures tom and that makes you feel for tom and they come to this truce and So all that stuff's like, oh, wow, that stuff is really well constructed. So kudos to the people running the show.
1: You know, Tom Haverford being the uh, connoisseur of all things cool and hip and happening has a BlackBerry in this episode.
2: Man, he, yeah, he's using this Blackberry, remember that little ball, remember the Blackberry remember the pearl, with the little like, trackball, yes. now, we're, now we're, we're, we're aging ourselves, like a child, is yes. like, I've never seen what you guys are talking about, but those Blackberries had like a sphere in the middle, like a rubber sphere, that you would use, sometimes computers would have those too, anyway, well, the worst, the worst <laughs> cameras ever, I mean,
1: the worst cameras,
2: yeah. of all time. Well, and then at some point at the end, some lady comes up, an older lady comes up to 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 Duke Silver, and she uses, she has like a big digital camera. It's like, no one has that. Like no one's <laughs> taking that to a concert. It's like you use your phone, but yeah, he had a BlackBerry. That was really funny, man. So that let's
1: talk it. about about Duke uh, Duke Silver. You got to walk me through this. You're in the writer's room, and somebody goes, I know. Ron Swanson should have an alter ego. And at that point, people say,
2: you're fired? I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I I, I've, I've, I looked in the research a little bit, and it either was pitched by Greg Daniels or Dana Gould. And if it was Greg, it's like, okay, Greg created the show, so no one yeah, can fire him. So, yeah. But if it's Dana, it was like, well, maybe he could be fired. Did Dana, no, Dana was really funny. Dana was a consultant. He would come in like once or twice a week. He worked on The Simpsons, so he he was... He just kind of like a a stand-up who's been around forever, like a legend of all comedy. So regardless of who pitched it, it it is one of those things where, like like we talked about a second ago, you have to decide whether it's too crazy for the show, whether it's too crazy for the world of the show, like will it break the show? And in this case, it sort of just gave this other dimension, and the show became a little bit more cartoony, and that's okay. Like people really enjoyed that. But I I don't know. It is – I I look back, and I'm like, I don't know if I would allow that. But, yeah, it's funny, man. It certainly – it certainly gives Ron another dimension, that's for that's for sure. Um I don't think I ever had any any
1: interaction with Duke Silver. And I so I obviously knew about it and I knew it was a thing, but I don't think I'd ever really properly really seen it until rewatching this episode and here's the thing that struck me was like it's one thing to have him have this alter ego and it's so funny this just smooth jazzy Sort of sexy berry white, you know, patter that he has is great. But then he literally says, I've cultivated an image in the office very carefully. And you're like, oh wait, so he's self-aware enough to know it? Wait, 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 wait. And and what are you saying? Are you saying? That his office
2: persona is something that's a pose <laughs> that's that he's very, cultivated. Yeah, it's very self-aware. We also talk about that where you shouldn't have characters be aware of their own characteristics in the show. But you know, look, I think something that really pulled us through, and sometimes pulls us pulls you through in many ways on a show, is when the force of nature of the actor behind a role is so great. Yep. You can you can smooth other things like that. You can smooth other things like that. Where the writing is in one hundred percent perfect detail, perfect everything's you know perfect for a hundred episodes. When you have Nick Offerman and his look, his persona, his voice, his acting level, his comedy, his mustache, everything mm-hmm. about him. When all of that is such a strong, strong force, it's almost like. It, it's just going to smooth everything over. And I think that's the case with Ron Swanson, because it's like, it was, to me, look, there, I, I think a lot of credit goes to the writers and, and to Mike and for, and Greg for, for creating this character. But man, when you fuse that with Nick Offerman, it's it's just so powerful. And people just accepted this Duke Silver thing as like, yeah, he plays jazz saxophone in Eagleton <laughs> on the side. It's like, wait, sure. what? <laughs> and it happens in episode 10 of the show. It's like not deep. It's not like season seven. It's like, fuck, we don't know what to do. Let's just make him a saxophone player. Episode 10. It's like, it's pretty soon, so... Um, no, it's, it's, uh, look, it's, it's a wild swing. It's a wild swing. And also like, it sort of resolves a story where you just found out a guy's marriage is a sham. <laughs> like, that is also funny. Like, kind of goes from kind of serious to like a really wacky kind of ending. But anyway, it's, it's, it was a joy to watch. And then it, it kind of, it dovetailed with the A story in a great way where I, I love the story turn at the end where, you know, Dave, officer Dave comes in and is like, you know, well, don't be so nervous about your first date because tonight's actually our second date. You know, it's like we we hung out and like, you know, that was actually touching and then it just kind of ends. But yeah, that, that stuff all worked for me. I thought that was,
3: that was lovely. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Now factors fresh never-frozen meals are dietitian-approved, which is awesome, and they're ready to eat in just two minutes. So, no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals.
0: So, so good. I love this stuff. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore
3: to help you crush your wellness goals. And let me tell you what I crush. They have a smoky bacon and cheddar egg bite that is...
0: Mm. Mm-mm, good. Mm.
3: I tried their shakes also, and they were so good. Oh, I'm a Factor fan. Head to factormeals.com slash Parks and Rex 50 and use code Parks and Rex 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code Parks and Rex 50 at factormeals.com slash Recs 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. That is so true, Greg. LinkedIn knows that as a small business owner, you don't have the time or the resources to spend countless hours looking for the right person for the job. So they have launched a new feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. And it isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching. In fact, get this, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Wow, that, that, that's impressive. That's amazing. Post your job for free at linkedin.com parks. That's linkedin.com parks to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.
2: One of the running bits I have about the show is is gifts, parties, and jobs. Like the, the show is just gifts, parties, and jobs. And like maybe we should add secret persona. Because like mm. uh, so many people have secret personas on the show. <laughs> like like we're like sh- there's 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 Burt Macklin and Duke Silver, obviously, but there's Janet Snakehole for 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 Aubrey and then by the way Ben White who joins the show later with you he has like 10 secret things that he does he like does claymation he wants to start a calzone restaurant I mean like there's just everyone has so many interests it's like man they just have so many interests on this show Greg you you must know how
1: all of this was put in what 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 uh, what secret sauce do you have to share with our listening peeps
3: (laughs) um if i remember correctly i believe greg daniels pitched um duke silver but it was one of those moments in the writer's room when everyone was just pitching on uh what his album should be called that dana gould shouted from across the room hi ho duke and it immediately was typed into the script
2: (laughs) it's a legendary joke because it's his name is duke silver when he obviously go hi ho silver but hi ho duke is really funny i just remember that I hope, Got Duke.
3: It. And I wanted to make a comment too about what you were saying about uh, the alternate personas. I remember Greg Daniels saying in the room that with a character comedy, was, people love the character, you'll kind of love them doing anything. And so there was a lot of time spent in the early days getting people to love these characters, so that when Ron Swanson becomes Duke Silver, or when Andy Dwyer becomes Bert Macklin, people are like, "Yes, this is incredible. I must see more of it."
1: This is also the um, introduction of one of my favorite.
2: Um, satellite characters purred happily. Just one of the characters that was the most fun to write for because <laughs> he has a very he has a very small joke in this one where he's like and now in a story that just won't stop unfolding or you know something similar to yeah. that and then we took that this is an example of what happens on a a comedy right you take one line a character has and then in the future episodes you're like well all we have is that one line let's just turn whatever he did that one line into some crazy like personality for his entire character and so later we just had him talk in circles about you know every line he ever had was incredibly circuitous and just never got to the point but but yeah it was casting jay jackson i guess was a newscaster so it was you know like he just felt like a newscaster and one of our favorite moments i think in casting the show you know sometimes we'd watch the tapes from from our casting director and and you know watch him in the room and so he read this audition for for pert happily and because he was a newscaster he did it the way a newscaster would so we gave him the line and he began his line like holding a microphone and he said Three, two, one. Now, when a story that is not, you know, (laughs) that will never stop developing, three, two, one. The story will not stop developing. He just kept, he would say, he would count down three, two, one before reading the line, which no one else did because they were all actors pretending to be newscasters. Jay Jackson was a newscaster. (laughs) I love that because that's, you know, there are a lot of people who,
1: I'm sure a lot of actors out there listening to this, and it, it just goes to show you that, like, if you can figure out something special to do in an audition, man, you know, that's... The,
2: the sky's it, the limit it's a good tip and and make sure that's i mean you yeah make sure that swing connects but but it and you also like see him in big budget movies so sometimes he's in like fast and furious and he's just a newscaster caster. i like to pretend he's Pert happily like it's just like he's in that universe too they're all in the same universe but I, I think in later seasons you know he would always he oh you know he's playing happily he's playing a newscaster and part of the joke was that he had this incredible voice this incredible presence this incredible cadence that was unmistakable but I think he, at a certain point, like, am I just going to keep playing this character? So we'd always have him do the lines as purred. And sometimes he would just kind of read it more like a normal guy. And then I would just, sometimes I'd go to him like, you got to read this one like a newscaster. He's like, okay. <laughs> just read it like a newscaster. It's like, yeah, that's the bit, man. Well, that,
1: you know, it's funny because that is one of the things about, about Parks and Rec that I struggled with um, is there's like kind of a, I don't know how to put this, because it's not a negative, it's not. But like I was like when I started playing Chris, I was like, "So I'm and I'm gonna be like super positive in this scene too." <laughs> yeah, I know. You, and and you realize, no, no, that's the thing. Yeah, you play that. This is an orchestra. That is your instrument. Play that instrument, and it really makes it work. And the, the, it's like the more you try to overcomplicate it, the more you try to it. it it's it's an interesting discipline to be able to be okay with playing a note that is very similar over
2: and over and over again. That's a great way of putting it. And look, ideally, ideally, if you're hopefully writing the show correctly and shaping it correctly, you get to play different Scales and different keys with that instrument, right? You get, yes. you can play a lot of interesting stuff with one instrument, you know, Rob. Yes. Like I think that's yep. a great metaphor because he yep. can have great solo flute, you can have great solo violin, but you know, and 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 we never wanted to box actors in and be like, no, you're doing every line the same way. Look, Part Happley is different from Chris, or different sure. from like Ron Swanson, or 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 you know, whoever. So, but. But you know, look—the the, the the more a character has to do, the 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 more range they can show. And yeah, you know, we, we saw we eventually did show Chris Get sad. We showed Chris fall in love. We showed Chris's heart yep. gets get broken and all that stuff. So, you know, look, it, yes, we we never want an actor to feel like they're boxed in and feel like that. Oh man, I, everything every line reads the same. But at the same time, you're right. It all kind of works in concert. That's what's beautiful about an ensemble show like this. Is is the pieces do fit together? And if suddenly. Chris is super negative for seven episodes like it's it throws everything out of balance its it's yep. it's it's instruments in an orchestra or ingredients in a recipe right so th- th- that's a that's an interesting observation, and I totally sympathize with actors being like, the oh, same thing every episode. We'll try our best to not have it be that, but you know
1: that said, I'd love to see pert Hapley doing his acting thing. that would have been great
2: pert Hapley, I think i believe is a jazz singer of some kind i think i feel like in one of the rap yes. rap like on one of the rap parties he like sang with duke silver and mouse rat by the way duke silver would play with mouse rat at the rap parties sometimes that's another insane thing about the show but yeah he would come out and play saxophone i remember that too it was very very wild kept kept using all the all the ingredients all the characters i would say to nick is, is duke silver playing Dennybe-
1: i don't know <laughs> i have to ask him
2: That's oh man. uh.
1: Now is is it my imagination or is Pratt not in this episode?
2: Oh wow, I think you're right. And this is actually also interesting. Like this weirdly has to do with contract stuff. Yeah, this is get gets into weird behind the scenes business stuff. But I do remember at some point it was like, look, some of these actors are seven out of thirteen or ten out of thirteen, and not thirteen out of thirteen, and that means episodes, right? So you don't have to pay them for all those episodes. And in fact, you are not budgeted to pay them. So if you have them, then you have to pay them extra and it's not out of the budget. So I remember there was something really funny season, I think either season one or season two, but it was saying who was seven of 13 and 10 out of 13. And there was just these moments of, I, I, I feel like a PA would come in, production assistant bring in like a card that said all the actors and how many episodes they were booked for. And, yeah, I remember Mike being really surprised. It was like, "Was wait, Aziz is 7 out of 13? It wasn't that. It was something like that that was like, wait a minute, we don't have, like, it wasn't Polar because she was all episodes. But, like, yeah, it was someone really, like, big characters, like Nick or whoever was just like, 7 out of 13? <laughs> it makes no sense. Like, it just doesn't make any sense at all. But, yeah, Pratt, Pratt look, Pratt was b- bumped from a guest star uh, season one to a regular season two, so I, I don't think he was all episodes. He wasn't all episodes produced. So, yeah, he's just not in this one. So sad for Pratt. <laughs> I mean, what happened to that guy? <laughs>
1: I know it just ruined his career. <laughs> I, I, I again, I just love the. By the way, it's so funny that that Anne, as a nurse, has a lot of time on her hands to be at the Parks and Rec
2: department. That <laughs> always made us laugh. Like, why is Anne there? <laughs> She's, God, is she really a nurse? Does she have like a secret identity? Is she not yeah. a nurse? Is she lying? Like that was fun. That was fun too. We used to pitch on what her real job was.
1: <laughs> what was the when Ron Swanson gives his uh, his um. His scientific scale of hotness uh, in the episode, was, yeah, and at the top of the top of the hotness is Steffi Graf.
2: <laughs> it's uh, that was really funny, man. I forget who pitched that. I think it might have been Dan Gore, but but the uh, this was also by the way before we realized before we made it enter entered it into canon that he loved pretty brunette women and breakfast food, basically. Like he loved brunette women, but Steffi Graf made it to the top. So I, I think like there's some sort of Element mm. of disconnect there, but we will we, we'll let it slide because I think he just likes, he loves like the WNBA. He loves like strong women. He like does not want a shrinking violet. And like Steffi Kraft, like a perfect, perfect joke at the end of that. That was really funny. Like, I, it took me by surprise. I forgot Were about it. Were there any
1: other pitches you remember for?
2: God, I don't know. I think it was a lot of like athletes. I think it was like strong women, like people who were just like t- something about Steffi Graf. Also, like not just a very successful athlete, but just no nonsense. Like you remember, it's just yeah. like, yeah, man, I'm the best, and like just really good at my job, and like graceful, but also just really strong and fluid. But yeah, that just I feel like when that got pitched, it's like it's
1: going in. Just like put it in the script. <laughs> you do you know that in the room when when everybody's pitching and one is clearly the one it's a relief
2: it's like yeah let's move on (laughs) so i yeah i think we talked about this briefly but the way it's set up kind of is is there's a there's a anyway in the parks and rec writers room there was a a main computer with a keyboard that would be at the sort of head of the table and there was a long like banquet style table and then the other writers would sit around this table and there were other monitors that showed the screen but did not have keyboards so basically the person running the room, you know, at the time was typically Mike, sometimes it was Dan, and then later seasons it was some other people as well. Um but yeah, the, we would go through the script, you know, we're in final draft looking at the script and okay, we're on this joke, everyone goes around and we just pitch on the we just pitch on the joke and and you know, yeah, it's it's so, some jokes would take hours. Some jokes would take 2 minutes, some jokes would take literally hours and it was like, oh, this is um really Uh, really difficult but yeah and and we started so like you know that that kind of system they used on the office and I think it's pretty common with shows and, and you know we would we would do variations of it right like on Master of None we would sometimes if we were working out of someone's house we would just put up you know, on Apple TV, we put up the screen on the Apple TV, and everyone could just sit around the couch and, and pitch. And so it's like, oh, it's a smaller room. Like, you can just hang out. And it's a little less formal. Um, but yeah, for a show like that, with at, at a certain point, I think season two, we got above 10 writers. Then it's like, okay, we're using this kind of banquet table setup. And so when Greg Daniels pitches, <laughs> he's got air superiority. I mean, yeah. I right? mean, but, but I feel like he, but here's the thing about this room in particular, and, and I thought it was a great thing. Those guys don't have egos like that. They just right. don't have egos like that. They're really not just diplomatic because that expresses a sort of meaning where they're just listening, but like they were genuinely curious what other people had to say. They were interested in other people opi- other people's opinions and they valued them. And so, look, ultimately they're going to make the decisions, but it wasn't like, hey, that's my pitch, it's going in. It's like, well, let's is this the best pitch? Like, is this like is this the funniest? Is this hitting with the most people? Because you might you might think even if you're the showrunner, you might like think like, "Oh, that joke is my favorite." But if you got 10 writers and they seem to really vastly prefer a different joke, you might pick that other joke because you're weighing your own opinion against theirs. So that that's where it kind of comes into play like, "Oh, I might not get this one, but Hey, this one seems to hit amongst younger people, or or whatever, yeah. whatever demographic, and 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 that 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 works in that sense. So yeah, I, Greg would never force stuff in. I mean, he would he would he he loved to just hang out and, exp, and exp, by this point, I think season two, I think it was largely Mike at the keyboard anyway. So I think Greg was just like having Greg would come over and have, have fun on Parks. He would just have fun because it's like. He wasn't... I think he was more stressed out about the office. I think, like, at a certain point, he was running the office when it was ending. He's like, oh, my God, i got to end the office. Like, well, how much pressure is that? And meanwhile, he'd come over to Parks and, like, it's a bunch of young kids having fun and Mike was helping run the room and, and, and really, you know, running stuff. So that was really that was really easy for him. Amazing.
0: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play Devil's Advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network. So whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com.
2: I feel like we need to hear from the people. Let's do it. Let's do, let's take a trip into the Pawnee Town Hall. Where do you want to do the town hall this week? What part of town? Uh, lake Wawasee. Okay, great. <laughs> We're doing it by the lake. This question comes from Rosalind from Rosemead. I like the, the alliteration there. Mm-hmm. Who are your favorite pop culture politicians outside of Parks and Recreation and the West Wing? The two shows Ooh. that you worked on, Rob. Who are your favorite pop culture politicians?
1: Oh, for, there's not, oh, but he's not a politician.
2: Who are you thinking of?
1: I was going to, Jack Donaghy of 30 Rock.
2: Yeah. Well, he seems like a, he seems like a politician. He's not. Fun fact they were going to, they were going to do like another show with him where he runs for mayor. So you're in there, they're, you're in the vicinity. He, they didn't end up doing that show, but they almost did that. Um, I got a couple. I one one I like is a, uh, Clay Davis from The Wire, a, a, a really, a really Ooh, fun one, man. His, his yeah. great tagline, great great catchphrase, just the word shit, <laughs> extended a long time. So Clay mm-hmm. Davis, a really, a, just a, a horrible guy, too. Just a horrible character. Um, uh, really good. Who else? I'm trying to else?
1: think who else it would be. Oh, um, I got a,
2: I, I, I got a really good one. I, I just had to Google his full name just because I... I uh, um, I really want to read the whole thing. You guys remember a movie called Idiocracy? Oh, there's oh my a God, president the named President Dwayne Elizondo Mountain Dew Herbert Camacho. So that is played by that's Terry Crews. He's got the machine gun. He's got the long hair. So that's i uh, I'm it. going with that.
1: That movie, <laughs> Idi- Idiocracy, is first of all it's all true, and um, that movie's amazing. <laughs> that movie is absolutely. I had Dax Shepard on on literally. Yeah. Um, my my podcast. And um, and we talked about Idiocracy at length because that if you haven't seen it, um, it's not a perfect movie
2: by any means, but it is absolutely riddled with genius. It's got enough good stuff in there, and it's like now that movie is like a little bit older, so you watch it like wow, that, sh- that is like sadly true. It's it, it's really it's 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 almost like a series of sketches, but it's really fun. It's it's yeah. really funny, man. Yeah. and Mike Rudolph in that movie, and, yeah, a bunch of really funny people. There's a, there's a bunch of presidents that, like, are honorable mentions for me where it's, like, the president, Independence Day, the president, Air Force oh. One, the president, like, yeah. Who's Bill?
1: What's Bill Pullman, Independence Day?
2: Independence God Day. help Leg- ours nation, whatever the hell. Yeah. He's got that great speech. Yeah, legendary speech. Get off my plane, Air Force One, of course. You Get know,
3: off my plane. There's, there's, a, there's
2: a lot of good ones, man. There's a lot of good ones.
3: I know I don't answer every town hall question, but this is one I got to answer. I got to pop in. I love politics and I love politically set things. I'm not allowed to talk about the West Wing, although it is my favorite. President Bartlett at the top. However, to follow the rules, I have to call out Dave from Dave. Have to. It's an amazing movie, an amazing role, amazing character. And of course, Andrew Shepard, the American president just a beautiful beautiful romantic comedy highly recommend and this is just coming in on the wire shulties calling out bulworth and of course he's absolutely right back to you
2: that's great that's it. That's all
1: we got for this episode we, we, yeah. we got nothing more all right cool yeah join us uh join us next week we got a, a another great episode um and equally mediocre hosting <laughs> um all all coming up for you next week
2: that's not the way to be a braggart, rob i got
1: scared <laughs> I don't want to be called a braggart. I don't want to do a humble brag. Subscribe wherever you get your
2: podcasts and tell a friend. Thanks to producer Greg and producer Schulte. Goodbye, Papani. Bye, everybody.
1: This episode of Parks and Recollection is produced by Greg Levine and me, Rob Schulte. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Byrne. The podcast is executive produced by Alan Yang for Alan Yang Productions, Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Jeff Ross, Adam Sachs, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. Gina Batista, Paula Davis, and Britt Kahn are our talent bookers. The theme song is by Mouse Rat, a.k.a. Mark Rivers, with additional tracks composed by John Danek. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Parks and Recollections. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher.
0: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.